Joseph lived in Brooklyn. He had grown up there, and it was all he ever knew. It was home. And you see, Joseph's story was one of struggle. It always had been. He was raised in a tough burrow in a cycle of poverty that was only made worse by the fact that he lost both his parents young, one to cancer, the other to who knows where, leaving him alone to raise his five-year-old brother. But despite his own heartbreak, Joseph was up to the task. It's just who he was. He dropped out of high school and started working construction jobs, getting as much money as he could, making ends meet, paying for his small apartment, his brother's school books, and putting food on the table, enough to get by. I mean, Joseph worked hard. And after 10 years, he actually found himself doing pretty well for a 25-year-old man. He was able to save some money over time. And eventually, for the first time in his life, he found himself having enough money to do something for himself. In fact, to invest in his own little construction operation, to bet on himself, the American dream. He opened his own small business with a longtime friend as a partner and was able to use his connections and his charm to pull together a small team, double his jobs, and really start to find some stability in his life that he had longed for for so long. For a moment, things really looked like they were finally working out. Until, like so many other times in Joseph's life, he was hit in the face by circumstance beyond his control, by a season like so many before that just felt like one gut punch after another. His brother found himself on the wrong side of the law in need of massive financial help to try and keep him from ending up in jail, an attempt that ultimately failed despite what the lawyer who smiled a little too much kept promising Joseph as he took more and more of his money. Then the housing market took a turn for the worse. He found those jobs that had been plentiful drying up, and he found himself taking out loans wherever he could from anyone he could, accruing debt just to try and hold on to this little thing he had made, this first thing that had actually been his own, doing whatever he could to stay afloat. That is, until his best friend, this business partner, this person he had trusted, decided to get out while he st still could, disappearing with what little was left, forcing him to declare bankruptcy, close his business, and enter a struggling economy where jobs for people without high school diplomas were scarce. Money dwindled, debtors came knocking, and before Joseph knew it, he was totally underwater, furious over what had happened to his brother, crushed by the betrayal of really his only friend in the world, terrified of what might come next. The loss of his apartment, the prospect of going hungry, the piling up of bills, the heartbreak of watching the one thing he had made for himself fail despite doing everything right. Feeling alone in a world that seemed so hostile and unforgiving. 
Joseph sat, head in his hands, hopeless, wondering, what am I supposed to do? And I wish I could say that Joseph's story was unique, but it's not. There are so many stories like his in our world, stories of people at bottom, stories of people longing for help, wishing they could find a reset button and a fresh start for their lives. People in desperate need of hope, just looking for some sort of good news to arrive somewhere, somehow. Stories that will set the course for this Advent season at E3. Advent. The season where we await and anticipate the arrival of Jesus Christ on Christmas. Where we take four weeks to pause and reflect on what his arrival and birth means to us, to people like Joseph, to our world. And Advent is a fascinating time in the church calendar. What we do is each week we light a candle that represents one of the four major themes that really underscore and define what the arrival of Jesus the Messiah meant. The candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, all building to Christmas, where we light the Christ candle at the center. This light that shines in the world, that breaks through in the darkness, that represents this moment in our story when God became flesh to meet us broken human beings where we were at, to offer human beings, no matter who they are or what they had done, the invitation to find him, to find good news in this world. So for the next four weeks, we are gonna sit with stories like Joseph's in our own stories. We are gonna reflect each week on how Jesus' arrival offers the good news of hope peace, joy, and love. The good news of a reset for anyone who longs for it and needs it. But we are going to explore this good news arrival in a unique way. We're going to do so by looking at it through a section of everyone's favorite Christmas book. It's the one that we all skip in our devotional readings, the Old Testament book of Leviticus. If you don't know what Leviticus is, it's the long list of basically commandments. It's a list of rules given by God to his people after he liberates them from slavery in Egypt during the Exodus story. And now don't worry, we aren't going to go through all of Leviticus. That would only be interesting to me. No, we're going to hone in on this one radical commandment found within it. This one radical commandment that Jesus believed was critical for understanding what his arrival meant. One that takes up a full chapter of the book of Leviticus, found in Leviticus 25. It's this commandment called the year of Jubilee. And we're going to read about it. It kicks off in Leviticus 25, verse 8. The Lord says, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then on this 50th year, have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout the land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. 
each of you is to return to your family, property, and to your own clan. So, Every 50 years, God's people are commanded to dedicate an entire year to this concept of jubilee, this year of proclaiming liberty, or perhaps better translated as release. On the day of atonement or Yom Kippur, the day each year that the Israel's high priest would enter the tabernacle and make a sacrifice for the forgiveness of God's people's sins, they would blow a yovel or a ram's horn, which is actually the Hebrew word translated as jubilee. And they would blow this horn and it would kick off this wave of liberty comprised of three massive commandments that cover that are covered over the course of the next chapter. First, what we see is that God's people are commanded to release the land and the people who work it from toil. They're told, do not reap through the course of this 50th year, which in Hebrew implies farming to get everything you possibly could out of the land. Basically, what they're told is that for a full year, the Israelites are commanded to only gather what they need to survive, letting the land produce only what it would naturally. It's a year of letting the land and the people who work it rest and heal while they trust God to provide for what they need. Second, what we see is that God's people are commanded to release Israelites separated from family or ancestral property. And this is kind of weird for us today. But you see, for Israel, land ownership, God's blessing, and family were intimately intertwined. You have to understand the story of Israel. God's people leave Egypt, get liberated from slavery, and they are heading towards the promised land. And when they enter the promised land, they're comprised of 12 tribes. Each was promised by God a share of the land that they are vividly going to inhabit. God commands them as they enter it to divide it equally. Each tribe and family getting their own little piece of this property, of this blessing, of this home that God had promised to his people while they were in bondage. Each getting their own little piece of this God-given inheritance. This is what land meant to them. However, over the years, Israelites would fall on hard times. The average person was one failed harvest away from poverty. So through poor choices or disaster, inevitably poor Israelites would end up having to sell their ancestral land to survive, to make ends meet, which was devastating. See, selling your land meant losing this piece of God's promised blessing to his people. And often what it would also mean is it would mean having to leave your tribe to go work elsewhere, to go work on someone else's property. It would mean being separated from home and family, losing your gift from God, losing your family, losing the land you knew. It could be just a hopeless situation. But in that, what we see in the year of Jubilee is that God provided a way out. God provided an opportunity to hope in. During the Jubilee, what we read is that all lost property was to be returned to its original ancestral lines that were drawn when Israel entered the promised land, allowing anyone separated from land and family to reclaim and return to their promised inheritance. It was never fully lost when this year of Jubilee was practiced. And third, God's people were commanded to release each other from bondage. 
You see, in the ancient world, if you couldn't pay back debts that you accrued, you would often have to sell yourself and your family into servitude, to be owned by the person you owed money to and to work it off over years. And if you couldn't work it off before you died, then, well, in some cultures, your children would take it over. And then if they couldn't work it off, their children, and so on. And the system would quickly become this cycle of bondage that would just never end for a family. But not so in God's people. Because during the year of Jubilee, God commanded the release of any Israelite and their family who found themselves in servitude, regardless of why. These three commandments comprised this year of Jubilee. It's perhaps the most radical commandment in the entire Torah or the law. It essentially resets every level of Israel's spiritual, social, and economic life every 50 years. It's wild. And this has so many layers that we are going to no doubt explore over the course of this series. But above all, what I believe the year of Jubilee is about, what I believe it embodies deeply is the hope at the center of God's story. I mean, just imagine being an Israelite who had lost everything, who had dug a hole so deep that they had no idea how they were going to get out, who was just sitting there like Joseph was, who was left wondering, how can I ever get out of this hole? How can I keep my poor choices from becoming a cycle of bondage for my children and their children after them. And the truth is in many societies then, and even today, the answer that you would be given was you can't, you're stuck, deal with it. But then imagine being that Israelite and having your God, this God who liberated your people from Egypt, this God who had been there for you. Imagine him saying, not in my story. No, in my story, in my people, those cycles end. You and your children won't be ruined by your past because every 50 years, once a generation, once in a lifetime, there will be this year of rest, liberation, and renewal. This year of release from past failures, wherever they hold people in bondage. Just imagine the hope that would give you, knowing no matter how deep the hole you found yourself in was, that there would be this ultimate reset and fresh start coming if you could just hold on. Just imagine it. But here's the thing. When you flip through your Bible, you're actually going to discover that there are no records in it of the year of Jubilee ever actually being fully carried out. And we don't really know why. It might have happened and it wasn't recorded. It might not have happened because it was just too hard to turn society upside down like this every 50 years. We don't know why. Whatever the reason, we just have no evidence that Israel ever followed this commandment from God's law. But that doesn't mean that it faded from Israel's story. You see, eventually, Israel's prophets, who we just learned about in our last series, well, they took this year of Jubilee concept and they connected it in this profound way to the larger story of God. As the Old Testament ends, 
Israel heads into exile from the promised land. And we find prophets like Isaiah reassuring God's people to hold on to hope in this dark moment. They promised them that on the other side of exile, God would rescue his people from bondage through his chosen king. This figure called the Messiah who would bring renewal for his people and then through his people, renewal for the world. Promises of this future cosmic release and resetting that they called the year of the Lord's favor. And believe it or not, this moment they described with some interesting language. They described it with the language of the Jubilee. They took this idea of the year of the Jubilee and they changed it into this moment in which God would make all things right through his king and announce an eternal Jubilee. And this became the hope of God's people after they returned from exile. It boiled underneath the surface of their society as they were conquered and occupied by the Roman Empire. Year after year, they waited, longed, and hoped for God's Messiah, for God's eternal jubilee to arrive. They waited. And then, around 30 AD, on one Sabbath day in the town of Nazareth in Galilee, the middle of nowhere when it comes to Israel, this rabbi named Jesus, this rabbi with all these odd stories about him, about how he had this miraculous birth, about how he had been baptized and the spirit of God had come on him and told him that he was the son of God. These stories about him going into the wilderness where he was tested by Satan and he fulfilled the promises of staying faithful to God. This rabbi stood up in the synagogue to read from the scriptures in his first major public appearance. And let me just read what he said. We find it in the gospel of Luke chapter four, verse 16. Jesus stood up to read in front of the audience and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing of all the Old Testament passages that Jesus could have used to tell the world what his arrival meant, who he is and what he is about. Jesus turns to passages from Isaiah chapter 58 and 61 that are all about the eternal Jubilee. Passages about the Messiah arriving to announce the good news of God's renewal. Passages that promise God's great release of every chain that binds our world. Passages promising that through God's Messiah, his people would finally witness the accumulation of their hope. The arrival of God's eternal jubilee and its explosion into our world. 
Jesus steps up in front of this crowd of first century Israelites. He points to those passages and says that promise of God's eternal jubilee. Yeah, good news. It's fulfilled right here, right now through me, the son of God, the Messiah, God made flesh in your midst. Mic drop. I mean, this would have been mind blowing for anyone in that audience who had spent years hoping in this moment to have this rabbi stand up and say, it's me, it's here, it's awry. The year of the Lord's favor, the year of God's jubilee has come. I mean, this is powerful stuff. And it becomes central to understanding Jesus. He believes that you have to understand this jubilee concept if you're going to get what he is here to do, what he is all about. Over and over, you see the language and imagery of the Jubilee saturate his teaching and ministry. It's present whenever he preaches that through him, we can find release from the bondage of our world, bondage of all kinds, from the bondage of decay through healing, from the bondage of sin through grace, from the bondage of death through resurrection. At the heart of this is this imagery of release, of Jubilee. It's present and how he cared for those around him. He'd throw parties of forgiveness, inviting all, even the worst of the worst, to find release from their past, to experience new life, to get a fresh start. It's present in what he taught his disciples to do in the world, calling them into communities where the poor were released from the bondage of poverty and oppression, cared for by people with renewed hearts, who had learned release from greed through divine generosity, who had learned to love their neighbor as themselves in the world. It's present in his invitation to renewed relationship when he offered release from separation between us and God. And he offered release for separation between people and each other wherever he saw it. Like when he healed lepers and let them return to their family in their homes. In each case, we find the imagery and the language of God's jubilee. It informs one of Jesus's deepest convictions that God's eternal jubilee was flooding into our world through him here and now, and that we could live within it, not every 50 years, but every day that every day through him, we could find rest from what's burdened us, that we could find liberation from what's bound us, that we could find renewal from what's broken us. This is all tied up to this year of Jubilee. And this is what Advent invites us to reflect on and look towards, anticipating this moment and celebrating it when Christ arrived and God's eternal jubilee was proclaimed once and for all. But Advent also invites us to respond to this moment. For Jesus, you have to understand that those who found his jubilee invitation were called to become it. They were called to become people who every day celebrate who Jesus was and the jubilee he announced by becoming more like him. They had to become people who every day experience true rest of release and invite others to experience it too. 
They became people who every day allowed their own separation to end through grace, reconciliation, and love. And then invited others to see their separation end by how they extended grace, reconciliation, and love to them. They became people who every day experienced God's liberation and then went into the world and loved others like themselves by working to liberate the bondage of others. People in whom and through whom Christ's jubilee floods into our world. This is what the jubilee was all about. And it's what we will sit with this Advent season. Each week, we will look at how this year of Jubilee inspired Jesus so profoundly and points us to what it means for us to experience and live out his invitation of Jubilee hope, peace, joy, and love. And for today, we sit with what saturates it most of all, and that is Jubilee hope. Hope that through Jesus and his arrival and his story, there is the potential for this ultimate release and reset in our lives and world. That there is nothing in our lives or world that cannot find a fresh start. And I don't know where you need to hear that message. Maybe you need to hear the Jubilee message that God promises to bring rest to the spaces of chaos in our lives. That in his story, we are invited to rest from destructive conflict, hate and resentment, through forgiveness, grace, and reconciliation. That in Jesus' arrival in life, we can find jubilee hope for rest in the broken relationships, lost dreams, past wounds, or broken hearts. Maybe you need to hear the jubilee message that God promises to bring liberation from everything that binds our world and all that we do as human beings to bind one another that God promises that in his story, our history bends towards justice, that he will not let evil and injustice have the last word, that in Jesus, we can find jubilee hope for liberation in the parts of our world that seem most lost and broken, that even there, the chains can and will break in God's eternal jubilee. Or maybe... You need to hear the Jubilee message that God promises renewal in the spaces of your life or past that seem most dead and barren. Maybe you need to hear that you aren't alone. No matter how much baggage and weight and scars you carry, that this God shows up in the least expected places and works through the most shattered things to announce this moment of release for our universe. That in Jesus' arrival in life, we can find jubilee hope for new life no matter where we are at. Or maybe you need to hear that you're called to become jubilee hope to someone else in this world. That the fulfillment of someone else's jubilee hope may come through you if you are willing to let Jesus invite you in, change you, and work through you in their lives if you are willing to forgive someone else's debt, if you are willing to release someone else from their toil, if you are willing to help someone else 
find the way home. Because just imagine, and I want to close with this, just imagine, what would it look like for someone to be this jubilee hope to Joseph from our story? If one of those people he owed money to was so moved by Jesus' jubilee mission that they came to realize that they had their own forgiven debts by grace. And in that light, they came alongside him and they forgave what he owed and they gave him a fresh start. What do you think that would do in his life? Or if someone, anyone, opened their home to him, said, come, get back on your feet, find rest for a moment. Do you think that might change his world? Or if someone said to him, I know you've had so much heartbreak and loss, but come, let me be your family. You're not alone. I will walk beside you in this season. Or if someone told him, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You can't change the past. It's okay. It's okay. Just move forward. There's hope. Your story's not over. There is forgiveness and new life on the other side of this season. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would do to someone like Joseph's life? If someone became the Jubilee announcement here and now. That's what it's all about. We are invited to find, experience, and live within Jesus' Jubilee every day, every moment, every step of our lives. It is an invitation that has the potential to change everything. And all we have to do is say yes to it, to accept it, and to become it. So, as we light our candle for this week, ask yourself, where do you need to find Jesus' Jubilee in this season? And where do you need to be it? This week, we light the Advent candle of hope for Joseph and everyone in our world with stories like his. Everyone who just needs some jubilee hope in the dark. Amen.